0: Welcome to the Marketing Science Podcast, the podcast for sales and marketing professionals working within science, engineering, and healthcare. My name is Danny Lazell, your co-host for Season 3. This week's guest is Emma Honeybone. Emma is a relationship marketing specialist and is going to be talking to us today about techniques for building relationships that can make a difference to your business. I started this week's episode by asking Emma what relationship marketing means to her.
1: interesting one, isn't it? Because if you Google uh, the term, you get lots of, as with any um, phrase, you get lots of different variations because everyone likes to put their own spin. Um, but common words come up when you think about relationship marketing. It tends to be retention, long term. Um, it's all about lead generation. It's about engagement. And whilst those things are true, I think it's long term, but it's also short term. Because relationship marketing, if you do it well, can be a door opener and help you to connect with somebody new. And that's a short-term return. Whilst it is about retention, it's also about growth. So it's an opportunity to grow new business, not just retain business. Um, it absolutely is about engagement, but it's about engagement in in many more ways than people think. So really, for me, relationship marketing is about providing opportunities to connect and engage with people. It's that simple. Giving the people within my organization a means to to connect with somebody that they want to speak to.
0: Perfect. So when you say the people in your organisation, are you talking predominantly salespeople? Are we talking sort of wider stakeholders?
1: So it always starts with sales because marketing is always about ROI, and it should be. We have to be held accountable for for what we're doing. We're spending the business's money. We're an overhead at the end of the day. You know, we're a cost to the business. We're seen as a cost centre. So they're Absolutely, fundamentally, uh, relationship marketing is there to help sales and business development to nurture the relationships in a way that will bring a return to the business. And that's not always through a sale. Sometimes it can be an opportunity to meet somebody that that person is connected to. It can be somebody we want to bring in um, to talk to the business, or or to you know to provide insights in a way that in an area that maybe we can't. Um, But it's also for people who are not in sales. So for um, our operations people, we use it as a means for them to build relationships with suppliers. And let's face it, if our supplier relationships are working well and the business runs smoothly, and that's all part of the experience for the customer, uh, we use it for our people team. So that they can build the culture internally but also with um, you know any recruiters that we might want to work with to help us get the best people to join our company so although it's rooted in sales and business development relationship marketing is fundamentally about relationships and those relationships are important to everybody who works within the industry um, and and in our um, our own Relationships, the tools that we use around CRM, I encourage people to put in anybody that they want to track a conversation with. So it could be a journalist. You know, who do we know at specific publications? How do we make sure those relationships stay really strong? And we're front of mind when they want commentary on a piece that is going to elevate our brand somewhere uh, outside of our organisation.
0: So that example you just gave there—that's sort of a more of a long-term strategy. How does relationship marketing work? short-term and in the long-term?
1: Um, so short and long-term, it has to be both. Uh, longevity is all about nurturing. It's about nurturing the relationship. When we have relationships with people, we even if they move jobs, even if they go somewhere else, we maintain that relationship because that person has become part of our community. And we never want an individual to feel like we're only going to engage with them because we think we can sell. To them, it's it's if you're, you know that thing um, of once a once a member of a, a group, always a member of a group. Well, once a member of the engine community, always a member of the engine community. Even people who've gone to competitors, we've maintained relationships. We're all part of the same industry. You know, we win and lose the same business essentially. So long term, yeah, absolutely, there to nurture relationships to help us in terms of our retention and to help us grow the business. But short term, it's a door opener. It's a way of giving somebody a means to go and connect with somebody new. So if we've got a strategy where we want to grow our, um, our capabilities within financial services, we're not going to know every single financial services organization. If we've got a really good relationship, relationship marketing program in place, then our individual people have the tools then to go and open doors with new organizations and new people. So it's definitely short and it's definitely long term
0: (laughs) (laughs) like all good marketing
1: like all good marketing you know
0: (laughs) so when you're working with the marketing team in your organization putting together campaigns where does relationship marketing fit into that say for example if we're running a a lead gen campaign where does your role sit in that in that particular
1: campaign it's part of an end-to-end strategy so we'll sit down with the team and say what's your objective we always start at the beginning what are you trying to do tell us What's your end game? Who is your target audience? What is it that you've got in terms of contents that we can share? And we'll plan where those different touch points are within that campaign. And invariably, it goes right from inside the business all the way through to how are we going to use that within um, our our journalists and, and, and media contacts. And from a lead generation perspective, we'll think about... Do we need to create a new piece of content? How do we make sure it's easily accessible for the sales and biz dev team? How do we make sure it's out there in the Wiser community so that it's socially, it's easy for people to find. So we're reinforcing those messages. Uh, If someone goes and Googles us, so they find supporting content within that. So we're absolutely part of that planning process. And I like to think we bring a rigor and and a structure to their campaign that, and an, ex, an experience level that enables them to think more broadly about what they're trying to do. If I'm honest, all campaigns are relationship marketing campaigns, because who buys from us people? And if we're not managing that well, then they're not going to come to us. They're going to go to a competitor.
0: So how do you know you're managing it well? What, what are you looking for in terms of metrics and things like that? Just a happy
1: customer or? (laughs) A bit of both, really. So the usual things, you know, very much uh, the standard KPIs that you would expect in any marketing uh, program. So what are our open rates? Are they tracking uh, at good levels? We've got a history of stats. So we're always comparing does this fall within the parameters of our mean um, stats? And if it doesn't, we'll then go back. If, it's a, if it overperforms, we'll really analyze. If it underperforms, we'll really analyze. If it's pretty steady, we'll think, okay, we're doing quite well. Let's look at tweaks that we can make. So standard KPIs around open rates, people who register for events, the attendance, the conversion rate from registration to attendance, completion rates. One of the great things about um, Zoom is we can see how long people stay engaged within an event, Uh, in a face-to-face event. Yeah, they stay because they have to, but they might be on their phones. They might be, you know, just looking out of the window. They might be there in spirit, but actually, you know, we've got no way of knowing. Uh, We register leads, so we'll track, um, we use a CRM system so that we can see where the various touch points have been with with a single individual and with an organization, so we can see how often marketing has had an impact. Um, in that engagement. It's never 100%. It's it's not absolutely marketing delivered this, but we can show where we've had an influence. So the usual metrics that you would expect people to use. But one of my key things is, um, especially when it comes to event management, I try and make sure the team doesn't get totally focused on bombs on seats. It's all about engagement. We might get 50 people come along to an event, but if 150 people have engaged in some way, that's a much bigger win for us. That's 150 people we can go back to afterwards and say, sorry, you couldn't join us. Sorry, you weren't available on the day. Sorry, you had to leave early. And you start that conversation. So engagement over attendance for me.
0: Yeah, so that's something that we talk about a lot. So you can get a 1,000 people to your online event, but... If none of them paid much attention, or it's better yeah. to have a hundred focused minds rather than
1: uh, absolutely of
0: collective group of people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we've, because of um, the fact that everything has been online for such a long time, we've been able to open up things like our events to a much broader audience. Which means, through LinkedIn, for example, we've been able to share registration links. You know, without being disparaging, there's a high proportion of those LinkedIn. Um, people who come along who are never going to buy from engine you know some of them are students some of them are our competitors some of them are you know consultants who are potentially looking for work if we just measured how many people attend we're not getting a true sense of of what the opportunity is for us and we're here as marketers to to create opportunities
0: just on that do you Do you go through your list prior to events then and only allow certain people to to attend? Do you just get rid of competitors, students, et cetera, or do you just allow everyone, but then more of the focus is on the ones that
1: meet your sort of customer profile? Yeah, I I have a view. If our competitors want to find out what they're doing, they'll find a way. So let them come along and be part of it. You know, we're we're all about inclusive rather than exclusive. Um, Absolutely, we want students to come along. They're there to learn, come and learn. Maybe one day you'll come and say, can I have a job at Engine? Maybe one day you'll come and be a speaker at one of my events. So we're very inclusive um, because it's online. If it's face-to-face, um, clearly we're limited on space. We have to be much more restrictive, but I'm quite excited about going to a hybrid world where we can actually you know, offer it as a Zoom link as well as coming in and sitting in, in the audience. Um, so we don't limit who comes along, but in terms of the people who register, we have a very clear process before and after of who we're going to engage with personally and who will get standard follow-up. Everyone gets the link to the recording, everybody gets the link to the write-up. Um, if we've got a book that we're offering and we've got a limited supply of that, then we'll go through and say, let's offer it to these 500 first, and then we'll follow up with, with you know, the next 500. So it's, a, it's a, a strategy in itself in terms of how we engage. following any activity Um, and we always make sure the follow-up is is that rigorous we go through every single person on the list
0: yeah so if we talk a little bit more about digital events the zoom era Mm -hmm. and were you running digital events prior to the pandemic
1: so i tried okay Uh, i I had go through webinar for a little while everyone hated it yeah you'd say we're running a webinar and you could almost feel the eye rolls of people (laughs) why would i want to come to a virtual event, um, and let's be honest, they weren't particularly engaging. You know, we didn't. The, the, the thing about the pandemic, and I, I'm, I'm loath to use the word great because it's been horrific for so many people, but we have to try and see some of the positives that have come off the back of this, and there are some. Community spirit is very different to how it was 18 months ago. Um, the ability to engage with people has broadened beyond can you get into london for an event because that's where our main office is so we did some online events but they weren't terribly successful i feel they were quite stuffy Mm. i feel we felt we almost had to make them more rigid than than um, a face-to-face event and now we're much more relaxed in our digital events than we were then so what else did you say about zoom
0: no, no, so just during the Zoom era, how have you found, so since you weren't doing too many before, you just limited the amount of digital events you were doing pre-pandemic, presumably once the pandemic started, it was the only focus or the main focus. So how did you sort of overcome the issues you'd had in the past and have you seen the improvement levels over the last 18 months for your digital events?
1: So uh, I remember in March last year, we had an event about women's sport that we were going to host at the Albright Club. We were really excited about it. And we had some great panelists coming in. And two weeks before the event was due to start, we went into lockdown. So we really quickly spoke to our IT team and said, tell us about Zoom webinar. How can we use it? I ran 100 tests because I didn't trust that it was going to work. And then we did the first one, I think it was the 31st of March, via Zoom. And it was really well received. We got 500 people signed up, 200 people came along on the day, which you know was lower than the conversion rates I'd experienced before, but it was our first online event. And the business went, that's interesting. And we ran an event every week from that point on. So from doing one to two events a month, we went to doing one event a week. The flip side of that is it takes as much effort to run a digital event as it does to run a face-to-face event. And if you're running them too frequently, you're not doing um, the follow-up in the way that you should. So really great. We could suddenly get speakers that we couldn't get before because they could do it from home. They weren't restricted by well, I need an hour in the event. I need my travel time. I need, you know, travel time either ends. I might need to get childcare. I might need to think about how my day looks. Suddenly, they only have to block out an hour of their time. And the same applies to the people who attend. You know, we were suddenly freeing up their day and saying, log in a minute before if you can, and we'll make sure we run it for 50 minutes. If it overruns, it'll only go to 55. You'll get five minutes, have a or have a wee, and then you can go to your next meeting because we all know your diary is back to back now because you're online and everyone fills your diary so it it gave us this broader reach which i've loved um post christmas i was a bit a bit more um disciplined about let's make sure we allow enough time pre and post event to really do that run up create the excitement run the event and then give it its due attention afterwards and make sure we're doing really good follow-up so we're not doing one a week now but i think digital is here to stay i really do hope it is because you know if we go back to just face to face i think we're limiting our audiences in a way that is is um well look diversity and inclusion means we have to be able to offer experiences that meet every need and this is a great way of doing that
0: yeah absolutely and so you think going forward hybrid events what do they look like
1: i'm quite excited. Yeah, I'm quite excited about hybrid. So we're going to do, um, we're doing our first face to face event, uh, which is quite small. It's a round table on the 9th of September. And I I did a small one because I was, I wasn't sure if people would be open to coming. We filled our spaces within a week and it's C-suite as well. So that tends to be the harder audience to fill. But in terms of those bigger events, round tables, I think you either have to do Purely digital or purely face-to-face, you cannot have a round table with one person on Zoom while everyone else is tucking into breakfast or lunch or dinner. So I think they're going to be either or. When you get into a more broadcaster panel or a speaker event, what we're going to do is we're going to start with record, still doing it via Zoom. The panelists will be via Zoom. The host will be via Zoom. But we'll open up a space in our office and say, if you'd like to come and experience it face-to-face, come and watch it. Face to face, we'll put on some hospitality. You know, you'll have the, the chance to speak and network with people, that bit that the individuals say they've missed. But we'll still deliver it purely via Zoom or, or, or another um, webinar platform of your choice, because there are plenty of them. Hmm. Um, and then we'll look at um, bringing the event itself live and recording it and allowing an audience to watch it remotely. So I think we'll do a little bit of a transition. Yeah. and see how it goes the first one will definitely be audience if they want to you can be in a room but the panel and the hosts will still be um virtual
0: nice but you're Let's looking see. forward to the opportunity so exciting uh exciting times i think
1: yeah i think so and i'm, I'm always excited to try something different you know i don't know about you but when you're what you work in a, a role for a long time it can become quite repetitive because you know i've mentioned on things i've talked Uh, places I've talked before I love a process and processes mean that you don't miss things that you you make sure it's delivered to a really high standard the flip side of that is it can become quite repetitive because you start and you go hi right let's here's my production schedule let's start filling this in here's our brief let's start filling that in and everything follows the same pattern so doing it you know trying this out will will bring a little bit of excitement and look there's nothing like a live event Let's be honest, you know, and if it's a really, really interesting, exciting speaker, people want to be able to go up to them afterwards and and introduce themselves and connect personally. We've missed that. You know, most people have missed that face to face interaction. But that mix, I think the balance is going to be what makes people really love it even more
0: yeah absolutely I think we'll be probably be trying similar things yeah. in the next few months and for our clients as well, so perhaps we can call back in six months and get you yeah. again and we can have a chat about how it's all yeah
1: <laughs> and let's see what's working the best and, and get some insights from people and see what they like. Do you know the other thing I like is going back to that idea of diversity is if we allow um, if we continue with some aspects of digital, people who don't feel comfortable being in groups people who perhaps don't want to leave the house you know we're not excluding them anymore and and you know your introverts can quietly sit at home and go god that looks like a nightmare but at least i get to be be part of the conversation online
0: yeah yeah i think that's a group that often gets forgotten as well when you're talking about these sorts of things is the ones that aren't particularly comfortable in groups of groups of people but online yeah you can get all the information to get access to everything so yeah that's, that's right the benefits
1: i think I set, we set up a, a, a women's network at um, an engine called Brilliant Women. It used to be called Women in Digital because that's where it was born. Um, and then we ran a, a campaign which was all around uh, around a book about brilliant women and we renamed it. And we set it up purposefully for women, senior women. It started, but it's now all um, all levels of seniority for women that didn't like traditional networking. And it was all about small groups, really relaxed, very informal. And I get asked, you know, can you send me the briefing pack? It's like there isn't one. Tell you know, tell me what you want to know. Come along to a session, see if you like it. It's informal. It's meant to be dip in, dip out. And that was to cater for a group that didn't want to go into, you know, a room with 100 people and everybody's, you know, vigorously shaking hands and exchanging business cards and quizzing each other about what they do and how they can work together. It was a much more relaxed, steady build type of relationship. Six years in, you know, it's it's loved and, and it meets different needs, which is really good.
0: That's awesome. It's been a while since anyone's handed me a business card. I don't know <laughs> what the reaction will be. The first time,
1: <laughs> I, I was thinking it was uh, two. It was probably my last festival of, festival of marketing that I got business cards, which would have been two thousand and nineteen. Mm. That would be about right, wouldn't it? Yeah. October time. Yeah, I won't be accepting any either. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> just connect on LinkedIn. It's fine. <laughs>
0: um, Just quickly, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you were mentioning earlier about the pre and the post event strategy. So how long would you normally set for a particular event running from start of the cycle to the end?
1: So I try and do six to eight weeks pre. And then we have two, so six to eight weeks, uh, a week of planning, and then a week of creating all the content, and then six weeks of going through that invitation process. Um, And one thing I've learned over time is that you invite people you know great digital go and track who's opened it send it again to the people that didn't open it same again each week you do that each week you get more people signed up so if you if you don't leave yourself enough time you can't be sending the same invite every day you've got to leave a decent period of time so that you're not irritating people and then they hit that unsubscribe button so i try and do six weeks especially if Um, you know, the the people we're we're trying to target, we know that their diaries are going to get full really quickly. And then the two weeks after the event is the really rigorous follow-up in terms of making sure we're getting that follow-up email out, making sure we're doing any follow-up phone calls where um, we want to perhaps book meetings and diaries. And then we review it again for eight and 12 weeks after to see what's happened from that follow-up. So it's, you know, it's usually a three-month it's usually a three month process. Yeah. And they're all, you know, we don't do three months on one and then move on to the next one. Obviously, we start one and then the next week we start another. So they're, you know, they're kind of at different stages in the cycle. But you've got to give these things a decent amount
0: of mm. time. It's definitely a misconception that digital events don't require as much effort or oh, planning
1: as. Yeah. Seriously. And, and let's not forget when you're trying to book speakers as well. You know you go out and you speak to your speakers and they say, "Well, actually, sometimes they don't reply, <laughs> so <laughs> so you have to do the same process with them. How did you get my invite um but you need to give them enough time to sort of check you out and and look at their diaries and confirm and make sure you've briefed them. so you've got to put that that time in, yeah, it's actually. naive, isn't it, to think you could do it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think when I first started doing digital, I probably thought the same. I thought ah, I can do this really quickly; it won't take too long. And then you get into the sort of nitty gritty of it, and you realise actually, it's takes quite a bit of quite a bit of work that goes into into these programs.
1: Yeah, and I think you miss the opportunity to do all the um, supporting activity around it, like pushing content on LinkedIn. Mm. So if you're doing an event, sharing different content, meet our speakers. Here's a thought piece that supports that. Here, here's a contradictory thought piece that is going to make you think in a different way. All of those things create excitement for the event itself. What they also do is they make it more likely for someone to come along yeah. because you're you're giving them that, oh, that's another reason why I should why I should go and attend that event. If it's a week before, someone might go, yeah, yeah, I'm free and then forget about it and then it pops up in there diary and they're like no I don't have time Mm. to do that the other thing that is is important is you know making sure that you send um if you send a diary invite out to someone I always put a week before reminder in because if they're going to drop out that's the point yeah and that way I can fill those spaces so you know it's it's little tricks like that that if you don't give yourself enough time
0: yeah, if you just do it one hour before, then you haven't got any time to to fill that gap very
1: quickly. Not at all. No, and that's fine if it's a big event and it's it's a panel recording. But if you've got a you know a round table and someone drops out an hour before, that's a seat wasted. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And so I want to just quickly move on to the sort of full relationship cycle. So as marketers, how important is it for us to think in terms of the customer, in terms of the other people they're going to interact with in their journey? how can marketers think about that and how can they influence those other those other touch points of the relationship
1: so when i when i think about marketing i think it's our job to consider what that whole customer experience is going to be like for an individual who starts to engage with our organization and and taking us back to the start when we talked about, is it just for sales? That's why relationship marketing is not just for sales. It's really important that all aspects of our business are thinking about the relationships they have to make sure the business operates at its peak um, performance. So making sure that our supplier relationships are smooth means that if someone then sends in an invoice or we're billing somebody that process is managed really well and if we have an issue the supplier knows that we we really value them as part of our infrastructure um, the same with um, you know customer service making sure that if we're doing something that is promoting part of our business externally, are they fully up to speed with what's going on so that if they get a query, they don't feel stupid because they don't know what we're doing? I mean, we've all had those experience with experiences where you phoned a helpline and the person is, you know, they're completely helpless because they don't know, they haven't got enough information. And sometimes that's to do with systems. So, again, thinking about suppliers, how do you make sure the system meets the needs of the internal person as much as the external person? So, the relationship cycle, you know, is a relationship by its nature it is an engagement between two people and that's never just sales and marketing it's any part of the organization that can help it run really smoothly
0: so in that case how important is it to have how important is it to have good internal relationships with your with the other stakeholders other parties in the organization
1: i mean so essential i have you know i've i've suffered as a result of forgetting my internal audience and getting to the point of hitting the button on a campaign and thinking, oh, I didn't do the internal comms properly. Nobody knows what's happening. So before you do anything, you tell the internal audience, that's part of the campaign. So that, that six week period, as I mentioned, internal comms start at the beginning of that six weeks. Hi, we're going to run a campaign. It's going to hit on this date. This is who we're targeting. This is what the individuals are going to get here's the sort of, you know, flagship element of it, whether that's a report, a piece of content or um, an event. This is your role. You know, that's really important. This is what we expect from you. Here's some Q&As that you might get asked and, and here's the supporting element to it. Please come along. You're an important part of the audience. It's not just for external people. Making sure your internal team are up to speed is, is the key to success, really, because if they don't know what we're doing and what's expected of them, then you're not going to get that engagement. And if you don't get the engagement as a central resource, it's not going to work. I can't deliver a marketing program on my own. It's dependent on the people within the business to go out and connect with their customers or their leads. Or I can push out an email campaign, but somebody's got to go and follow it up.
0: Mm. It's easily done, isn't it? You get so engrossed in putting together the event, your focus is on getting. External people there, the right sort of people, and before you know it, you've completely forgotten that. Yeah, hang on, you just assume everyone knows all about it because you've been doing it day to day, but actually nobody's got a that's right what you're doing.
1: And the other thing, a great, you know, going back to your question about Zoom uh, or Zoom but online events, is suddenly we can say to our internal audience, you can come along as well. So we had, um, you know, Ruby Wax came in to do a talk for us before Christmas last year around mental health because it's a really important subject. Um, we believe that for good leaders need to make sure that their their employees feel nurtured within the workplace. And she did a great talk. If that had been an internal face-to-face event, if that had been a face-to-face event, we would have been limited on seats. So you know the external audience would have got priority because we spend money to put that on. But these events are now open to our internal audience as well. And you know what? It drives culture in a way that is so beneficial. You know, it it drives a real buzz in the teams because they feel like they've got something as well. They were given access to people that maybe they wouldn't have been able to go and see before. So yeah, your internal audience is absolutely Absolutely, Kate. And the other thing about internal, internal audiences is we often think about sales and biz dev as the route to our customers. Guess what? Everybody's connected to somebody. And if you give them enough insight, you know, we've had um, people who work in our dev team come back and go, oh, I remembered that event you told me about. I remembered that report you told me about. I saw this. This organization is looking for exactly that, you know, that insight. So y- you potentially get more leads as a result.
0: Yeah, so it's yeah, so important to have everyone. I'm not singing off the same hymn sheet. That's a bit of a cliche, but <laughs> I know. But...
1: <laughs> I didn't think of
0: anything else that <laughs> what I wanted to say is clearly. Um, I to move on to: Do you have any examples of uh, organisations in the B2B space who do relationship marketing really well?
1: So, I mean, I, I, I think relationship marketing is almost the same to a degree in B2B as it is in B2C. But one of the company it's a really small company and most people won't know them. It's an organization called Influencer and they are, um, it's set up by a guy called Ben Jeffries and he curates content around social and influencer marketing. And I love the way he manages the whole process. You, you register, it's really simple. It's a newsletter. Newsletters are hated by most people. This one is brilliant. He Breaks it down into really bite-sized chunks. He says, "You might have missed this. Here's a summary of what it is. Here's the big trends that are going on at the moment. Here's some people are doing influencer marketing differently. They manage that relationship with me really, really well. The tone is always nicely handled. You know, it's not too chatty, but it's not too, um, you know, it's not too sort of business-like and and using business speak rather than plain English. Um, he's really accessible." as a person, so you you know you can message him directly and have a chat and, and get some insights uh, from him. He's a great speaker, so I've used him for events since then. But I just think he does that curation of content that is interesting to me in a way that I would love to replicate. So I'm thinking about how I can replicate that. So really small organization, but sometimes small means you can do things in a way that you can't when you're in a big organization.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Emma, you speak so passionately about relationship marketing. Where did this where did this come from?
1: <laughs> I think I fell into it actually. I mean, going you said cliche, it's a cliche. Uh, I am a people person. I love meeting people. I love speaking to people. And if you're going to put me anywhere in a business, put me somewhere where I get to talk to individuals. I've got a really good memory for individuals, so. You know, we're, when we're having our reviews, um, we do a, a weekly um, sales and marketing review in one of the pillars in Engine, and we'll talk about a campaign. And I can recall someone from five years ago who came to an event or, or you know, we connected with, and they're like, get, just ask Emma. We don't need to go into the CRM system. <laughs> uh, because I, I like that opportunity to meet with people. But more than that, I like that opportunity to add value. Um, I was definitely a people pleaser in a formal life. So that ability to look at an organization and then to look at the roles within that organization and then to look at the individual within that role and think, how can we add value to this relationship so that we maintain it? And yeah, fingers crossed, we'll get some business off it. But if we don't, they will always speak highly of us as people and as the business that we represent. So I think it was a, I kind of fell into it, but landed completely on my feet. I think I was doing it just without knowing mm-hmm. that it was relationship marketing. I've been in marketing for t- 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 twenty six years, uh, and and look, it, you know, they didn't always have terms that we have now. It, I'm a I'm a classic marketer. You start with the strategy, and you work through to so what your implementation is, and relationship marketing is just a fundamental part of that.
0: Yeah, I think that's important things for the audience to take away. You have all these sort of buzzwords and marketing gurus and all sorts now, but essentially, what you're talking about is building good relationships, yeah. presenting opportunities for other people in the organisation to build on those relationships and to take it from there.
1: Yeah, and and you want what you want is for someone to come to you and say, "This is my challenge. How do you think we can do that?" And I kind of, I'm lucky. I've got to that stage of my career where I'm brought in to here's our business strategy, you know, what can we do to deliver that? What, how do you think we could engage with people in a different way? And there's loads of really great things we can do. You know, we we do virtual brunches because we haven't been able to meet face-to-face. So you send someone a brunch. You know, you send them some food and, and again, they think, oh, that was a really great event. And I also got a really nice meal out of it. So it, it's just so many exciting things you can do in this space. If anyone's interested, get into this bit of marketing. It's brilliant.
0: I've seen some other cool, like very simple, cool examples just for sales guys having their sort of monthly catch up with clients and just sending them a, a Starbucks voucher or something so they can get a coffee delivered to their desk.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I've done that where I said, what's your local place? Right. I've put some money. Basically, I've put a little tab there for you, order it or, you yeah. know, go and pick it up and then I'll catch up with you later. And these things don't have to cost a lot of money either. You know, just before we move on, one of the things you can tell I love this subject, but hospitality used to be a really big thing. You know, we you'd hire a table at the rugby uh, or you'd, take, you'd hire a table at Wimbledon or you'd take a box at, at, at Silverstone or, you know, all these really really expensive hospitality um and what i try we've, again we've had to stop but where i was moving to in engine is we'll have a hospitality budget but it's a personal budget so find out about the person you're speaking to if they're really like cricket go and buy them a ticket to the hundred and also do you know what cricket's a really great way to engage with someone because it's quite quiet a lot yeah. of the time so you can have a conversation can't have much of a conversation at formula one or rugby you know it's it's quite hard when it's really noisy so instead of doing big ticket items giving people these smaller more frequent budgets so they can build that individual relationship in a way that feels very personal rather than i'm part of a table and i can just walk away after yeah. this
0: i think that's really interesting and um, we did we did speak about marketing gurus uh, in ecommerce yes. and <laughs> where does your how do you keep up to date with the latest sort of marketing information do you follow anyone for inspiration resources books that people you would advise to people recommend to people
1: yeah so you know all the usual campaign marketing week you know it's just linkedin for me is is my main route because things tend to get flagged uh really nicely for me because i'm connected to people who have a similar, um, sort of similar roles to me, but also very different roles. I'm a Mark fan fangirl. It's uh, anyone who knows me knows that, um, you know, it, he's got, a, had a very similar um, training to me. So possibly because we're both classic marketers, I, I sort of like his, his approach, but oh, he's feisty. You know, he, he, he loves controversy, but equally, you know, he, he's got a position and, and he'll fight it. Uh, you know, to to the bitter end. Sometimes, even if <laughs> even if someone's presenting, you know, a, a possibly uh, a interesting perspective, but I like his honesty. You know, he's very refreshing, um, and he's my kind of person in terms of the way he he speaks. Uh, look, Joe Glover uh, is somebody I connected with a few years ago, maybe three years ago now. I've been inspired by the work he's done. Really young, up and coming, Marcus ever approaching. Things from a very different perspective, I like the, um, the huma- humanity of what Joe does. It's, it's very fresh in some ways, in that, you know, this creating a, a community for lovely people what, what a great way to, to make fe- people feel like they belong. Um, but someone I was impressed with uh, quite a few years ago now is Deborah Dolce, who's at TGX, TJX Europe, which is TK Maxx and HomeSense. And she, um, from a, from early days was a data-led marketer. And I like that. You know, she really analyzed the data to understand how TK Max shoppers spend and what are the touch points where you can increase basket size. Because one of the things about marketing is it's, it's typically easier to grow with your existing customers than to go and acquire new customers. And she recognized the opportunity to look at her existing base as well as growth opportunities, but to look at the existing base and think, right, what can we do to change that experience, to encourage people to spend a bit more we're going to get a better return on investment if we do that. Um, Books-wise, oh, lots of books. The and Fields, uh, long and short of it, um, I love. uh, I know it gets some criticism. Look, it's an old book now. You know, things have moved on. But that idea of balancing long-term strategy with short-term strategy doesn't go away. If you miss that, then you're not going to achieve in your objectives. And one of the um, references I made um, when I was talking at an event Earlier this year, I think, is that uh, in marketing, if you really want to succeed, then you've got to be prepared to put the work in that someone else might get the credit for. And that's long long term strategy. You know, you've got to do it because you believe in the business that you're working in. And then short term strategy becomes part of the tactics and a reaction to things like the pandemic. You know, we have to be able to to pivot really quickly and do something differently. So I love that book. Years ago, I read um, Made to Stick chip and dan heath which i liked which is this how do you get ideas as you create ideas that are sticky and that resonate with people and then a non-marketing book which i've also recommended this year is um, the matthew syed book rebel ideas the power of diverse thinking any marketer listening to this who's starting out in their career um, straight away try and get views that are different to yours when you're pulling your plans together because you know sitting in an echo chamber with everyone saying this is great is a, is a Um, recipe for disaster it's not a recipe for success when people challenge you it's uncomfortable but you know friction creates innovation and innovation draws attention you know i'll keep going back to that it really does only from friction do you get different perspectives so those are my sort of recommendations
0: Cool. You'll be pleased to know I've got Rebel Ideas on the bookshelf. Not read yet. It's on, my, it's on my next next to read list.
1: Once you start reading it, I scribbled lots of ideas in there. He's is it the new version where he's put the pandemic chapter in?
0: I guess I only bought it within the last few weeks. So I'm, So
1: yeah, you'll have to tell me about that because I don't have that version. Yeah,
0: but I <laughs> tend to do that. So I read the book once, then I'll reread it and just write all over it. And it
1: exactly, exactly. Afterwards. Do exactly the same. And actually, I did a bit, this this um, entertain me. I, I sent out copies of Rebel Ideas because we have Matthew Syed in to talk. And I was checking the weight of the book because pandemic, I had to do all, well, I got my 16-year-old to do it. I had to pack all the books up myself. So I had to know what weight they were to, to book the postage. So I tried it with my book, almost forgot, and the customer almost got my version with all my notes.
0: in. Possibly more valuable than the actual <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, possibly. Just so that. Yeah, but I would have been lost.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the final question: uh, I've heard you in an event before, uh, which is when I first became aware about your work. And you said, "Go and be a hero in your business." What do you What do you mean by that?
1: Oh, so look, this for me is absolutely what we're about. We're not about making heroes of ourselves. Everything that we do should give people something that they can take back into their business and become a hero. So if anyone comes to one of our events, I want them to take away three things. I want them to do a pat on the back. We're already doing that. Well done. You know, big thumbs up to us. We can feel reassured that we're heading in the right direction. I want them to think, oh, my goodness, I hadn't thought of that. Here's the spark of innovation. Let's do something different. And I want them to think it's a shared struggle. Um, and if they can take one of those, the second two in particular, the the shared struggle or the innovation back into their business and say, hey, here's an idea, then and they become a hero off the back of that, then we've we've done our job. You know, make heroes of your customers and they'll love you for it.
0: Perfect. Emma, it's inspiring stuff. Really fascinating to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time today.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure. I could talk for hours.
0: A big thanks to Emma for sharing her time and expertise with us all today. If you've enjoyed listening, then please think about leaving a review on your podcast provider, sharing the episode on social media or with a colleague that you think will enjoy it. If you'd like to learn more information about how to run your own podcast, then visit azonetwork.com forward slash podcasts. I'll be back next Monday with another guest for the marketing science community. We hope you can join us then. And until next time, take care and thanks for listening.